This is Sally Hogshead, and you're listening to Radio Free Leader. Welcome to Radio Free Leader. I'm your host, David Burgess, best-selling author and recovering academic, and this is the show that tears down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office. Each episode brings you an outstanding thinker to help you lead smarter by sharing insights from social science and practical applications for leadership, innovation, and strategy. Make sure you stay up to date with Radio Free Leader and get some great stuff we don't share on the show by joining our community. You can sign up at davidberkus.com slash podcast or text Radio Free to 33444 if you're listening on your smartphone and you're in the United States. We'll even get you caught up with our Radio Free Leader Starter Kit. This is a collection of our most popular episodes sent right to your email inbox so you can listen in just one click. Again, that's davidberkus.com slash podcast or text Radio Free, all one word, to 33444. And now our latest interview with another brilliant thinker. The first question we ask everyone is always, so who are you and what do you do? I'm Sally Hogshead, and I can show you what makes you fascinating in about three minutes. I'm a New York Times bestselling author, Hall of Fame keynote speaker, and I created a system, an assessment named the Fascination Advantage that measures your personal brand. Okay, and I want to dive into all of that. But before we do, I have a question I've always been wanting to ask you, which is, do you run into the same wide open availability of usernames that I do with a name like Sally Hogshead? David David Berkus is a wide open one, so I always have those usernames. And you've got to have the same thing going for you. Well, here's the cool thing. When I was when I was connecting with you on Skype initially, I looked up David Burkus and I was like, "Is it the one in Hungary? Probably not." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of an advantage and a disadvantage of having the last name Hogshead. And when I and and the term fascination is kind of the same thing that you can pee on fresh trees. <laughs> <laughs> that may be the worst way to describe it I've ever heard, but so yeah. potent. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> let's let's dive into that. Let's talk about fascination. So you first came on my radar, I believe our, our mutual friend, Mitch Joel, from whom I stole the question, who are you and what do you do? I think it was way back when Fascinate came, first came out. And really it was, you know, I, I position that in my mind, at least as a, this is a marketing book. This is about what itch do brands scratch in people to get them to buy. And then the, the new book is kind of, it's not a pivot. It's sort of like, at least it appears to me that it's kind of like saying, well, these same things that work for consumers work for followers and organizational members. And, you know, the Seth Godin would say the tribe, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Am I putting like, am I making up your story of how you sort of got here or am I onto something? You are onto something. So I spent the first half of my career as a creative director in advertising, and I loved working with brands that didn't have a really high budget, so they had to be more aggressive, and they had to be able to find ways to capture people's attention. And after a while, I realized I wanted to be able to not talk through a brand with people. I wanted to be able to just talk to people. So I began researching, and I was actually looking into attention spans and why we pay attention to certain things and not others. And I found this phrase in an old medical journal that said, one of the oldest words in written language is ancient Latin. And the word is fascinare. It means it means fascination. And the, the translation of fascinare is to bewitch or hold captive so your listener is powerless to resist. And the more I began looking into it, into this concept of bewitching or spellbinding or captivating, uh, the more I found that fascination was a deep instinctive force. And so my first book came out on the topic in 2010. And that's where I met Mitch Joel. 
there's this period of time about three months after you turn the manuscript into the publisher, in my case, HarperCollins. And it's kind of a nail biting time <laughs> because I don't know if you're like me, but I love to keep tweaking things. And when, when a book is being printed onto paper, you can't exactly go in and change a concept. So during that time, I began thinking, how can I promote this book that had just come out, Fascinate? And I realized that we had so much research on it. What if we took all that focus group research, all the market research, and we started applying it to individuals? And what we found is that you, just as you can measure a brand, you can also measure a personal brand. You can't do it like Myers-Briggs and StrengthsFinder because those are based on psychology. But I thought, what if we took all the principles that world-class brands use and we began applying it to people to, to not look at how you see the world, which is what DISC and StrengthsFinder are built on, how you see the world. What if we flipped it around? We started measuring how the world sees you and specifically how the world sees you at your best, almost like an advertising agency would do. And that research has led me to measuring about a million people all over the world. And what we found is there are very predictable hidden patterns in how people communicate and the kind of impression that makes on others. That's what led to the book, How the World Sees You. Hmm. No, I think to me, it's fascinating for a couple different reasons. So one, it's that idea that these same sort of principles, these same kind of things apply. But also this idea that, you know, I, I come from a psychology background. And one of the things we talk about often is that the majority of these personality instruments. So first of all, those of us that sort of studied had to go through grad school in psychology. We don't really have high opinions of Myers-Briggs and DISC anyway. But even like the big five, the sort of gold standard of personality inventory is more about how you see yourself and about how you see the world around you. It's not attempting to kind of figure out it from that other perspective, which again, if I'm trying to grow as a leader or trying to build a following as a as a aspiring expert or something like that is is arguably more useful than knowing how I actually see the world. Yes, and also how does the world see you at your best? What we learned in our research is 80% of people think they're a better driver than the average person, which, you know, you remember bell curves, 50% is above, 50% is below. So people grossly overestimate their their ability to drive. But when we ask them, are you more fascinating than the average person? In other words, you, when you communicate to people, listen and remember, take action. Are you making an impression that people are, are likely to remember? In our research, what we found is people do not think that they're fascinating. In fact, they feel really insecure when they're forced to make a first impression. You've probably experienced this when you're trying to write a LinkedIn bio. Have you ever done this, David, where you type and delete and type and delete? And you don't know which words to use. So 80% of people think they're a better driver than the average person, but only 39% of people think they're more fascinating. So even though we overestimate how good we are at many things, we don't feel confident about how we're perceived by others. But what we found is that if you can say to somebody, here's what you're doing right, here's your highest value, here's why other people love you and champion for you and and befriend you and evangelize about you, these are the qualities, these are the exact adjectives. These are the, if, if you do more of this, you're going to be able to make more money, to be able to have a, bitter, a bigger impact on the world, to make a bigger difference for your business and for all the people in your life, then suddenly their confidence skyrockets. What we saw was after people do the assessment, they're up to 200% more confident in themselves because we're, we're feeding it to them just like an advertising agency would give a brand a marketing plan. Hmm. So um, let's, can we talk briefly about those? Because in, in, so in 
fascinate there were sort of seven i think you called them triggers here there those sort of advantages somewhere along the line we abandoned lust by the way i figured that out the other day when i was reading this whole thing um but let's, can, and you can probably imagine why yeah i can, i think i can but let's i don't, I don't want to go in deep on each but just kind of a top line of what those different are and how they work in how the world sees you when i started researching this concept of fascination i was trying to organize it into different buckets or modes of communication. And so I looked at things like political speeches from the past or uh, big picture ideas like like TED speeches, even famous advertising campaigns or, or people, celebrities. And so I began organizing this and it took me about two years to try to find what's a list of different modes of communication that's comprehensive, but also doesn't overlap. And the seven different ways that people communicate are power, which is confidence with a sense of strength. These are these are brands that move through the world in a in a very authoritative way, like TSA or Google. Passion. Passion. I, I speak the language of passion, which is I love to communicate with people in a way that is emotionally engaging. I like to tell stories. I like to use adjectives. Passion personalities love to be able to connect with each other. And I used to hire people that were like me, uh, with with a high high use of passion, real enthusiasm, very spirited. <laughs> so what I started realizing is I had a bunch of people like me who were really good at being enthusiastic and not really good about doing things like sending out invoices. <laughs> so I realized that I had to start hiring people with other advantages like mystique, which is the language of listening, thinking things through very carefully, or trust, which is stability, dependability, very consistent, sticking to a schedule. So the system that I originally designed for brands and for companies to help them organize how the world sees the brand, I, I transferred that over to how do people see you as an individual? And like with you, David, for example, what we learned when you took the fascination advantage assessment, you have a really high degree of excellence and you move through the world with confidence. So people see you as a natural leader. It's really comfortable for you to be in the front of the room guiding people, motivating them, showing them a goal, and then helping them achieve a result. So, and here's where, like, because you you take these seven and they kind of break down into what your, your primary and your secondary and your dormant is, and it creates all of these different archetypes. And I, I actually love being called the archetype of a victor because I lose so often. But <laughs> here's, the, here's the one that I think is interesting and what sort of threw me for a loop. And as we've been talking now, I realized, I said earlier, like, maybe I want to push back on this, but maybe... Maybe I don't. The one that always got me when I took this test, I mean, I love to think of myself as a strong leader and I, I sometimes get paid to be in the front of the room. So that one kind of makes sense. But this idea of, of results oriented and competitive and that kind of a thing, because like I see myself most days as drowning, as like I've got so much to do. I have no idea how I'm going to do any of it. It's all going to be terrible. But I kind of like, do you think that's what actually motivates the op like that's what I see, so that the opposite is what others see, or why can't I mean, why don't they see me drowning? I guess it's my weird question. That's a wonderful question. I've never actually been asked that question about why is it that I feel a certain way and the results of the assessment are something different. The answer is because it's not measuring how you see yourself or how you feel, it's measuring how people see you at your best. In other words, David, I mean, you're a phenomenal speaker. You know, when you're on stage and it's like, it's just clicking, you're in the zone, the audience is taking notes, nobody's on their iPhone, and you can tell that your words are really sinking in and making a difference. And you have that feeling of confidence where you don't even have to think about what you're saying. It just flows perfectly. You know that feeling? Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely connect with that. And my, I mean, actually, when I saw that, that part and the, the idea around the confidence, et cetera, my mind actually went back to when I was like 17. This is a weird story. But 
my older brother and I, my older brother's a huge music fan. And we were kind of obsessed with esoteric music. I don't know if you remember in the 90s, most music in the United States was awful. And so in Canada, though, there were a lot of like really good rock bands. And so we would we would be following all these ones. And one in particular, like we, we actually went to go see in the small club and we waited till afterwards to go hang out with them, whatever. And he was like Mr. Fanboy. And then he actually was yelling at me afterwards because I was talking to them like an equal. And I kept thinking like, well, we're both humans. Like, why why are you not thinking you're an equal to these people? Yes. And, and, and that's a great that's a great example of having that feeling of confidence. And an interesting piece of research that I did, I was ta- I was I talked to a lot of different biological anthropologists and neurologists and linguists. And a linguist described to me that when when you're confident, not, not only does your body language shift, but your mouth produces more saliva. And in linguistics, this is actually called wet mouth. Wet mouth is the opposite of dry mouth. Dry mouth is what you experience when you don't feel confident and the meeting goes south and suddenly it's like your self-confidence plummets and your mouth gets dry because you have a blast of epinephrine in your brain. But when you're confident, your voice sounds different and unconsciously people pick up on this. And it's one of the reasons why Marilyn Monroe had the ability to draw people in and captivate because she always had what this linguist described as wet mouth. And she spoke, it was almost like pillow talk where she had a, a way of projecting her voice, but it sounded like she was whispering in your ear, even when she was standing in front of a room. So confidence is picked up by your listener. They don't realize why they're uncomfortable if you're uncomfortable, but it makes them want to back away and not listen to you. And that's why, to bring it back to what we were talking about, if somebody can identify for you those those traits that are most likely to for you to add the most value and for you to be seen that you're most attractive or capable, then it makes you feel confident so that you're not second guessing yourself. And that's why this assessment, the fascination advantage, it's not measuring strengths and weaknesses. It's measuring how you are most likely to make a positive impression. Hmm. So where do I go from here? How do I develop that? I know, I know in the book we talk about developing that kind of personal branding anthem type of thing, but I feel like there's also, there, there are probably potholes that this archetype creates as well. I mean, you can't, you can't have it all, right? I mean, I know I'm the victor. That's my archetype, but yes. there's got to be some way I could end up losing if I don't do this right. Absolutely. And to explain that, let me first describe somebody who's different than both you and me, but somebody that would probably be very compatible with us in a, in a business scenario. And that archetype I named the detective. Detectives are, are great at details. They like to be able to find every little piece of a complex puzzle. So in the report, when the, in the fascination advantage report, it will say, I find precise answers to the most complex problems. So if when this person, this very detailed, analytical, strategic, skillful, focused person reads, I find precise answers to the most complex problems, suddenly they can kind of set up a little straighter and they can cut and paste that phrase, put it into their LinkedIn bio or their resume or that section on the website where you have to describe yourself and it always feels kind of awkward. I find precise answers to the most complex problems. Now, the victor is different. Victors are respected, competitive, and results-oriented, as we described. But here's how I want you to frame that up. It's not that you would literally say to a client, I'm competitive. But what you might say is, I have a competitive spirit, or I'm going to be competitive for you within a crowded category. You might use your other adjectives as, I'm going to be results-oriented in your goals. I want to bring you a specific outcome so we're not just meandering, and I'm not going to ask for a hand-holding because I'm going to be ambitious about how we get this done. So I'm going to lay out a plan, we're going to go for the goal, and I'm going to make sure that that my standards are as high, if not higher, than yours. 
And so by having those three words, it's almost like it's your brand positioning, your personal brand positioning. Hmm. So wait, so are you a victor too? Is that what I picked up on? I am not. I'm, oh. I'm not a victor. I'm not we were gonna. I w- we were going to throw a party. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Victors unite. I work really well with victors, but I bring something different to the party. My archetype is named the catalyst. And the reason why I named that personal brand type the catalyst is because we're very good at starting things. Remember in science class, a catalyst is an agent that begins something. So I'm really good at the beginning of the process. I love to be able to to start projects and have really creative ideas. And that's why professionally, I focus on brainstorming sessions. I'm not good at implementation and execution. And I don't try to be, that's not my highest value. And in fact, I'm really drained by execution. So that's why I know that I need to partner with somebody who's good at execution. My three adjectives are out of the box, social, and energizing. That means if I'm going to be working with a client, if they don't want to work with someone who is out of the box, social and energizing, I need to really be careful or I need to outsource the project because I'm probably not going to make a good impression and I'm probably going to become very quickly demoralized. Hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. And now I, and it agrees with exactly how I see you, which is probably the whole point of the assessment to begin with. So all right, right, right. that's awesome. So the books are fascinating and how the world sees you, but how can, what's the best way for people to figure out, okay, what, what are mine? How can they find the assessment easy, more easily, et cetera? Well, we have a gift for your audience. We created a code that people in this conversation right now can take these fascination advantage assessment for free. Would you like me to give you your magic secret code? Yes, let's do that. And we'll obviously put links and stuff like that in the show notes as well. But yes, how do we, how do we take this? I, yeah. I want to know how they see me. No, I'm kidding. I want to know how they see themselves too. Yes, yes. Well, well and, how, and how other people see them. So yeah. he, here's how to do it. It's named the fascination advantage. And it's at how to fascinate dot com forward slash you y-o-u how to fascinate dot com slash you y-o-u and then the secret code that gets you to jump at the front of the line for free is free leader f-r-e-e l-e-a-d-e-r free leader just like the podcast <laughs> just, and, um, if you can't figure that one out maybe <laughs> don't take the test well burgess was a little bit harder to <laughs> oh totally totally yeah so it's free leader all one word and then you will, as, as soon as you register, it, the assessment's only 28 questions. It used to be 156 questions, but we realized that the same 28 questions gave us the data we needed. So it takes about three to five minutes. And then at the end, you get a report that describes how the world sees you in the same way that a focus group might describe how other people see you at your best. Just like, how does the world see Nike at its best? How does the world see Tesla at its best? This focus group instead is building on our research of a million people to show you how you are most likely to stand out and be heard. I love it. I love it. So if you're listening, please be sure to check that out. Also check out the books, Fascinate and How the World Sees You. Sally, you know what's coming next because I primed you ahead of time. Switch and ask you our five questions we ask all guests. Are you game? I am game. Bring it on. Bring it on. What is the best advice you've ever received? When I was growing up, my mother said, mistakes are tuition. So I would screw up at school or I would, I would have a project that failed. And even early on in my career, when I would, I would try something and fall on my face, she would always kind of look at me and smile, her little wry Iowan smile. And she would say, well, mistakes are tuition. And that has always given me a lot of permission, especially as a creative person, to know that I'm going to have um, a 20% failure rate. Oh, I love that. I really do. That's like meme worthy. I need to make up a quote thing and then attribute it to your mom. <laughs> yes. 
Mrs. Hugshead. <laughs> exactly. What's an average day look like for you? I wish there was an average day, and that's uh, that's actually something that I'm really committed to is starting to build a little bit more routine in my life because it's very hard for me to get into a state of flow. I have just been on the road doing speaking and meetings and, and my oldest son's wedding now for about three months. I was only home for three days during that time. And so it has been really difficult for me to kind of stay in shape and get enough sleep and do all those things that are really important if you want to be creative and you want to kind of bring that mojo to your work and to your life. So can we ask me what my average day looks like in about two months? Okay, booked. We'll bring you back. We'll ask you then. Awesome. <laughs> that sounds like the most boring podcast ever. <laughs> We're going to do an entire episode just as a follow-up. Like, so we're this is a mini episode, Sally. What's an average day look like for you? That's awesome. Actually, let's make it a 24-hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, third question, what are you reading right now? I, you know, I have always read business books and I just really recently started reading fiction. What I finally realized about myself is that when I read business books, I start getting stressed because it puts me in a, in a business mindset and it's not relaxing, even though it can be inspiring. So I just read a book named The Circle by Dave Eggers. And The Circle is kind of this dystopian future of what it would look like if Facebook and Google started running the world. And Wait, it they was, don't run the world now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But imagine that we we all wear cameras literally 24 hours a day, every single person, no matter what you're doing, including when you're in the restroom, what would that culture be like in that society? And, and, and who would revolt against that? So I have learned that the, that fiction helps me relax more than nonfiction, even though I don't write fiction. Hmm. What do you believe that most people don't? I believe that different is better than better. I grew up in a in a very high achieving family with a everybody in my family was kind of superstars in their field and I was the youngest by quite a bit. And so I always tried to be better. You know, I would I would look and I'd be like, "Oh, I want to be as good at academics as my brother who graduated from Harvard or I I want to be as good at my sister who was a world-class swimmer." And finally what I realized was it's good to be better, but it's better to be different. Hmm. So one of the things I've always encouraged that people in order to be fascinating, if you're going to try to be better than somebody, essentially, you're only going to be incrementally better. And it's going to be really expensive to try to outdo somebody else at their own game it, to be the market leader can be better. But everybody else, unless you have the biggest budget or you're the most fascinating, it's far easier and more authentic. Instead of trying to be better, be different. So different is better than better. I love it. I love it. Last question. So the title of the show is Radio Free Leader. In your view, what makes someone a leader? The ability to make a difference in the world what in, in whatever way is right for you to push people to their highest potential or, or help them feel inspired. The best project I ever did was named You Are Fascinating. And what we decided to do is to take to take the fascination advantage assessment and make it available for anybody who wanted to do it. But more specifically, people could donate it to schools or shelters. And 100,000 people did it in about three months because what they found was it was kind of this pay it forward idea. You can check it out if you want to. Every, everybody's invited to do it. We just reopened it and it's at youarefascinating.com. Oh, cool. We'll put a link there as well for the uh, for the show as well as to howtofascinate.com slash you for yours and also to the books, Fascinate and How the World Sees You. Sally, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free Leader. Thank you.